from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Great to have you aboard. And uh, I feel like a United Church minister about to officiate at a wedding. Uh, you know when they usually begin with a series of announcements before they begin the, uh, the nuptials? Uh, you know, please, no confetti inside the church. Um, and uh, let's thank all the women in the kitchen for uh, putting out an, such a nice spread and all that sort of Anyway, here are my announcements, and they're important, so have a listen. First of all, uh, Tim Spreen is here. Uh, Albert, the intern, is here. Our uh, HOAs, our, our HOA, our hang, Hangout on Air, is... I'm getting the thumbs up from Albert. We are back up and running this week. Um, and um, at least you can see me in studio. And our special guest host, Richard, uh, and I'll talk about Richard here, the other Richard, in just a moment. If you want to watch the live stream of the program, just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. Click on the tweet near the uh, the top uh, of the uh, the feed that says HOA. It's a link there. Just click on it, and you're in. And uh, I just mentioned our guest host, Richard Astley, is uh, here. He's our contest winner. Wave to the good people, Richard. There he is. He is uh, our contest winner from uh, our live stage event uh, back in April. Follow the truth, too. Richard won a dinner uh, with yours truly. And I don't know if that's much of a prize, but he sat through dinner. And uh, uh, here he is in studio. We had a lovely battered fish uh, uh, dinner just down the street at the uh, the local here in Liberty Village. Uh, and also, Richard Astley gets to co-host tonight's program. And he helped put the program together as well. Uh, and he wanted to talk about Bigfoot. And uh, we will, in just a few moments, Dr. Melba Ketchum, one of the lead scientists with the Sasquatch Genome Project, is standing by. I can't wait to get into that. But Richard, uh, is um, you're an interest in, in an interesting line of work, Richard. First of all, say hello to the uh, the listeners and, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, everybody. Um, just want to say Happy Father's Day to my dad. Wow. Please, uh, thank you. Yes, I, I, I forgot to do that. Oh. Happy Father's Day to everyone out there. Oh. I look forward to talking about Kubrick and uh, Bigfoot as well. All right, so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I just do a little bit of work in the uh, funeral supply industry out of um, or the Durham region. Funeral supplies, that's a much needed, it's recession proof. That's it, yeah, everybody dies, unfortunately. That's one of the facts of life. All right, interesting line of work. Okay, now... Uh, so, w- why the fascination with Bigfoot? Bigfoot came to me out of the blue. I'm a fan of uh, Les Stroud's Survivor Man, and he's a guy that goes out in the middle of wilderness, and he all of a sudden said, hey, I've heard some things, and I want some explanations. All right. Well, uh, I get a lot of emails. People want to know more about, uh, they want more shows on Bigfoot, and we will deliver in just a few moments. Uh, first, uh, one more announcement. I, I want to spend a few moments here uh, also. Uh, commending a huge supporter of The Conspiracy Show. We are now approaching our sixth year here on Zoomer Radio, our flagship station here in Toronto. Moses Neimer uh, is also the, the driving force and the creator of Idea City, uh, which takes place every year in Toronto over a three-day period. Uh, I had the honor of, of speaking at Idea City back in 2012. It's billed as Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and it certainly is that. Um, uh, and the mighty Aphrodite and I, uh, we're able to attend two out of the three days that just wrapped up uh, on, on Friday. In fact, let me tell a tale out of school. We pulled our, our twin boys out of school on the Friday uh, so they could attend. It, it was just an amazing a lineup of compelling 
captivating and controversial speakers, just pillar to post, just jam-packed, dense uh, with information. And uh, I especially appreciated uh, and enjoyed the climate change skeptics, which is a topic near and dear to my heart. We're not going to delve into that tonight. Uh, we'll save that for another night. But um, uh, anyway, kudos uh, to Moses Neimer and everyone at Idea City for an absolutely amazing uh, three days. And I can't wait for next year. And uh, uh, hopefully you can attend as well. Uh, one more thing before I introduce uh, you uh, to our Bigfoot specialist. We are officially unveiling the Conspiracy Show app tonight. I've been mentioning this to you over the uh, the last couple of months. It's now available at Google Play for you Android users, and iPhone users can get it through, the, uh, through iTunes. Uh, it's a free download. Uh, and um, uh, special thanks uh, to Sharon Forster, who designed and developed the app. Albert, of course, uh, to you as well, Albert, well done. Uh, This was sort of his his pet project. And Albert will be monitoring uh, the app tonight for your questions and comments. You can listen to the show, listen to to past shows, post questions, comments, uh, upload pictures, participate in polls, uh, and much more. It's just like the website, only better. Uh, far more interactive. So now you can take the Conspiracy Show with you wherever you go. That's the Conspiracy Show app, available now, right now, on Google Play and iTunes. And it's absolutely free. Okay. Um, we are uh, we are going to talk Bigfoot uh, for the next 45 minutes. You know, we've had... We've sort of tackled this issue from an all, a lot of different aspects. We've had Bigfoot trackers on. We've had uh, witnesses. We've had uh, uh, field researchers and authors. Um, but now, as I say, a slightly different angle. A doctor of veterinary medicine and the president and director of DNA Diagnostics, Inc., a genetics laboratory geared to state-of-the-art genetic testing to talk about the um, the Sasquatch Genome Project, Dr. Melba Ketchum, has made a DNA analysis of possible Bigfoot hair samples, which was leaked to the public before the publication of peer reviewed uh, her peer reviewed paper. Uh, uh, Dr. Ketchum attended Texas A&M University, where she received her doctorate in veterinary medicine after five years at the university, and she had a um, a veterinary practice until she founded DNA Diagnostics. She's the president and founder, as I mentioned, of DNA Diagnostics. And um, uh, that company, established in 1985, has become a leader in all types of DNA testing, including human and animal forensics, human and animal paternity and parentage testing, disease diagnostics, trait tests, animal and human identity testing, species identification, and sex determination. And uh, it's a great pleasure to have uh, Dr. Melba Ketchum right here on The Conspiracy Show. Dr. Ketchum, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well. And uh, my special co-host tonight, uh, Richard Astley. Say hello uh, as well. Hello, Melba. Hi, how are you? Good. Uh, Dr. Ketchum, uh, let's, uh, this is your first time on the program. I know you have, uh, you have talked uh, far and wide about this. I, I, um, I've listened to you speak to my colleague at Coast to Coast, uh, uh, George Knapp, on the, on the subject, and was uh-huh. fascinated by it. Uh, but for our listeners here, your first time, uh, just yeah. give us a, a little bit of the backstory about um, how the, the Sasquatch Genome Project got started and what your, your uh, objectives were. Well, it, there was no object, objective at first. I didn't believe they existed. Um, so I just kind of backed into this. It wasn't anything intentional. Um, we'd have people send us samples, 
you know, every year, and we'd just test them for species identity, but we never got anything interesting until, oh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago now, um, whenever I was asked to do some analysis for, um, uh, at that time, Destination Truth, which was a television show on the Sci-Fi Channel. And they would go around getting samples, and they gave us a Bhutan Yeti sample. Now, there wasn't enough DNA for anything conclusive, but we had non-human hair that gave human DNA, and that shouldn't happen. So uh, about that time, uh, North American Bigfoot Search sent some samples in, and some of them were from eyewitness encounters, and we tested them also. And once again, it was non-human hair giving human test results on mitochondrial DNA, and that's the maternal or the mother's lineage. Right, mitochondrial, right. Yes, and uh, that, like I say, human hair is obvious. You can tell it, and this was not. It looked like, you know, kind of like wavy horse mane hair. It was, you know, much more coarse. So the mitochondrial DNA was saying what? It was. It's 100% modern human. Modern human, and the the. Um there's but the mito- nuclear DNA, the nuclear DNA, which would be the the, the, the was, male, the as father, we progressed into the pro- process. Uh, when we started getting that, we got a lot of unknown sequence, in addition to um, some human sequence. So it was a mixture. We call it a mosaic of human and unknown DNA. Now, as a skeptic, you mentioned initially you did not believe. No. When you started no, getting I, these, I laughed. At, I would just laugh when I'd get these samples. We, we, it was a joke around the lab. And when you started to get these results, mitochondrial DNA showing Well, then I got human. curious. I had no idea what I was dealing with, but I got curious because I knew they shouldn't be. And we did a lot of forensic testing, so, you know, we knew how to keep the contamination. You know, you wash the hair thoroughly uh, with chemicals and, um, you know, vortex it at huge thousands of RPMs per minute uh, with this, these little vortexers that you have. And, and uh, you know, it shakes any excessive DNA off other than just what's on the hair. Uh, you know what is part of the hair, I should say. But and when, so excuse me, Dr. Go. Ketchum, but when you're receiving samples from third party out in the uh, out in the field, how then can you assure its uh, its providence? I guess. Uh, well, the thing is, it doesn't. This is the whole point of DNA testing. You can pull any DNA from anywhere and pretty well identify it, unless it's something that hasn't been seen before. That's the whole point of testing it. When when you do species identification. Uh, which is done with the mitochondrial DNA, it tells you what, what the source of the DNA was. But it can't be tainted or manipulated by someone before they bring it to you. Well, the only thing they can do is, is you know, tell me it's a, a cat, and we test it, it turns out to be dog, and we say, no, it's a dog. <laughs> right, right. I and mean, there's, it's going to show what it is, regardless of, of what kind of sample or where you get it. I mean, you know, you could you could go anywhere and get any kind of DNA sample and you not even know what it is and, and when you run the species identity test on it, it'll tell you what it came from. Now when you say the mitochondrial... Or it'll tell you if there's more than one species in there too. Right. Now when you say the mitochondrial DNA was clearly 100% human female... Yes. But the nuclear DNA was undetermined? What does that mean yes. exactly? It means that the way you determine things uh, nowadays is there are these huge databases of sequence from people that have sequenced different uh, different DNA from all over the world and all different types of organisms. And you do what's called a blast search where you plug in your sequence and search against all these millions and millions of, of sequences. And it what it matches closest to is what will come up when you search it. 
And so, you know, normally you'll get hits, you know, off of whatever it is or whatever it's closest to, but we were we were getting no hits at all. It was completely unknown, which was, you know, blew our minds. <laughs> I In can fact, imagine. I, I can't a, imagine. I outsourced. I didn't believe it. And so, and I knew that, you know, nobody's going to believe one lab, so we assembled 12 different labs, and we sent these samples out as blind studies. They didn't know what they were testing. They thought they were just testing humans. Right. And I even have an email on the website where one of the PhDs wrote me and said, you know, this doesn't match anything. Uh, have you discovered a new species? I have that actually on the website. People can go read the letter. That's SasquatchGenomeProject.org, and we will continue our conversation with a Dr. Melba Ketchum, along with my co-host Richard Astley, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't you dare go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Dr. Melba Ketchum is uh, with us from the Sasquatch Genome Project, sasquatchgenomeproject.org, the website. Let me crib from that website. It has been a long and tedious battle to prove that Sasquatch exists. We've had the proof for eight years now, but building enough data to convince mainstream science has taken a lot of time. Trying to publish took almost two years. It seems mainstream science just can't seem to tolerate something controversial, especially from a group of primarily forensic scientists and not famous um, academicians, or academians, rather, sorry, famous academians, aligned with large universities, even though most of our sequencing and analysis was performed at just such facilities. We encountered the worst scientific bias in the peer review process in recent history, I'm calling it the Galileo effect, she writes. Several journalists wouldn't even read our manuscript when we sent them a pre-submission inquiry. Another one leaked our peer reviews. We were even mocked by one reviewer in his peer review. We finally found a new journal that accepted our paper and had it peer-reviewed using blind peer reviews, which we passed. However, we had to acquire this journal when they backed out of publishing our manuscript five minutes before it was going to go live in order to keep our passing peer reviews obtained by this journal. We chose to do this rather than spend another five years just trying to find another journal to publish and hoping that decent, open-minded reviewers would be chosen. We renamed the journal as per our agreement, De Novo. The new journal is aimed at offering not only more choices and better service to scientists wanting to submit a manuscript, but also reviewers and editors that will be fair, unlike the treatment we received. Lastly... We have adhered to all of the standards set in the link below for for, um, author-owned journals. And uh, you can click on that link. It's called uh, publicationethics.org. There's a big, long uh, URL there. And again, that can be found on the homepage at sasquatchgenomeproject.org. Dr. Melba Ketchum uh, is with us. Now, I I read that, uh, your words, uh, Dr. Ketchum, just to give people a quick... Uh, sort of understanding uh, of the obstacles uh, that you faced in trying to p- uh, to publish these studies and to give to illustrate something that I've long maintained and that is how politicized the the whole peer review uh, process is. That's considered sort of the gold standard of a study that it gets published in a peer review, uh, but not necessarily so. So, at what point did you decide you had enough information? It was time to go to go public with this. Give us the timeline there. Oh well, it's probably about four or five years ago now. Um, we had 
a lot of we had sequenced a lot of different uh, points on the nuclear genome, and we had the mitochondrial we had whole genomes from the mitochondrial DNA, and we had you know tons of samples. We had over 100 samples in the study, and we went to nature with it because it, it is a nature-worthy, I mean, you know, a new species and all, you go to your bigger journals. Plus, right. it had to be a multidisciplinary journal because we used more than just the DNA. We used several different disciplines, including electron microscopy, histopathology, and other disciplines in order to, to prove our point. Um, anyway, uh, at first, the reception seemed cordial enough, and um, they sent the paper out for peer review, and they turned it down the first time. The reviewer one more or less passed it, said he thought there was something there, but it needed corrections. Well, we and I talked to the editor. The editor, editor basically told me that you know if you do, ev- we'll take it back again if you'll do every single thing the peer reviewers ask you to do. Well, the first one liked it. The second one, uh, he didn't read it because he asked for whole mitochondrial genomes, and we already had them in the paper. So he didn't read the paper. Obviously. The third one uh, made a, a crack to the effect. Uh, now, his English was not good, but it, it was obvious what he was saying. He says, you mean to tell me Caucasian woman go run around in woods with unknown hominid and have baby and give there to? I don't think so. Hmm. But that's what <laughs> the that DNA clearly shows. <laughs> and then the fourth one said, I want one, two, three, four, five. So we went back. We did everything Re- reviewer one wanted. Um, we did everything reviewer two wanted, plus uh, you're supposed to answer them. And those peer reviews are on our website, so you can read how ludicrous they are because they've got my answers to it, referring to the different parts of the paper where the the stuff they were requesting was already in the paper, uh, the data and all. Uh, and then the third one, I mean, there wasn't a lot I could say to him because he just said, you know, he just mocked us. Uh, but we tried to address it as, as, you know, professionally as possible. And then uh, the fourth one, we went in and we did everything he asked us to do. So basically, when when the reviewers give you a list of things to do and you meet every one of them, generally they publish your paper. But when we and they asked for whole genomes, which we went back and got three of them, not just one. They asked for a whole genome. We did three. Uh, we came back uh, about a year later because it took us that long to to add the genomes and all. Um, and this time they sent them to the same reviewers, which was not very, didn't make me very happy, but um, they did it. And the first one suddenly says he's not qualified to review it, and he'll just accept what everybody else says. The second reviewer still didn't read the paper because he said we had no materials and methods when they were in the supplemental data per the editor that told me to put it there because the paper was so long. Uh, he also kept referring to it as ancient DNA, which it's not ancient DNA. It was fresh-dried DNA or fresh-frozen DNA, whatever the case may have been. So clearly the game is rigged. And, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. And the third one just said he didn't believe it. It had to be contaminated. And the fourth one wouldn't review it again. And so uh, the upshot of this is uh, you finally fa- found uh, a journal willing to publish, but five minutes before it was to go live... Yeah, they, they backed they, out they because backed they out. basically said it would kill their journal if they published something like this. So you bought the journal? Yep, basically. And, and published. Well, the investor, Wally Herson, bought it. So you published? Yes, and we published with their with the reviews that the journal, the other journal got because we didn't want any part of getting the reviews ourselves. We wanted it to be a, a completely unassociated with me or with you know our group of scientists because we wanted it to be fair. 
and we got that. And as a result, um, you know, Zubank actually published our name that we requested, which was Homo sapiens cognatus. That's what you're calling this? Yes. That's what you're calling Sasquatch. That's the scientific it means, name. It means blood relatives, because they are. They're, they're part human. Well, we'll delve into that a little bit. Let me introduce once again my uh, special co-host uh, tonight, Richard Astley. And uh, Richard, take it away. The The floor is yours, sir. I was just wondering if... Uh, Sorry, let me uh, try that again. Take two. I was just wondering if um, you, have you ever seen Sasquatch out in the wild or had an encounter at all? Yes, I have. Oh. Multiple times. What was your favorite one or what was the one that enlightened you the most? Uh, there's a female that I really liked that she she's just very sweet and likes to, you know, we've had some interaction and it's been a lot of fun. At, at what point, um, sorry, at what point in your journey here uh, did you encounter Sasquatch? Approximately two years before the paper published, um, I kept getting calls from people and, and they refer to themselves as habituators. It's people that interact with them. And, you know, when they first started calling, I thought this was crazy. I didn't believe you know, what was going on, uh, but some ones that live not too far from me kept kept on until I went out with them to an area where, uh, where they were, and I actually saw five the first time that I was out with people. I saw one in daylight, and then, you know, I saw five at night. I don't know if the one was still one of them. So, um, you know, it was a really interesting day, and it was mind-blowing to say the least. And after that, then I ended up with a, a lease site where they live, and I've had quite a bit of interaction with them. It's been, it, you know, it can be quite entertaining at times. And and what part of the uh, the uh, the country is this again? In Texas. In Texas. Yeah, anywhere where there's heavy forests, there's a lot of them. They live right under our noses, but they're able to conceal very well and. You know, therefore, most people aren't even aware of them, even though they're there. Oh, wait, before I throw it back over to uh, to Richard Astley, let me uh, let me just follow up here. Uh, give me a, a physical description, height, weight, physical features. Uh, the first one I saw the full body on was eight feet tall because we marked it on the tree that he was standing in front of. He was very square built. Um, his face was not haired, but it was at night, so I could just see the moonlight shining on his face. I couldn't make out his features real well, regrettably. But, you know, it was clearly what he was. His shoulders were very broad. Uh, I mean, you know, like a linebacker, except more so. And he probably weighed about five or 600 pounds, if I had to guess. And uh, matted hair, fur, how would no, you describe No, no. Neat. Um, some of them are matted, but, you know, most of them take pretty good care of themselves. And you know, they can be very um, well-groomed. How about their teeth? Do they have canines? Yeah, some of them have uh, canines that are a little bit, I want to say fangs, not really quite that bad, but uh, we've got a picture of one on the Sasquatch Genome Project site, and she's got little canines. But her, their teeth are quite similar to ours, actually. And, um, you know, like I say, she's a good representation. Um, they... <laughs> Some of them, though, have hair on their face. Some of them have partial hair, like the patty film. Some of them have no hair on their face. It just depends on the individual. All right, let me uh, uh, hand it over again. They're like again. people. There's a million of them. Seriously, a million of them? Well, I mean, you know, every, figuratively, but there, okay. I'm sure there's hundreds of thousands of them worldwide. That's remarkable. Uh, Richard Astley, over to you again. With the genome you found, is it possible for crossbreeding at all, or was there signs of any crossbreeding at all in the past? 
they def, there's definitely been crossbreeding. It's in the historical record in a large way, uh, especially in Native American and uh, First Nation peoples, where oftentimes their maidens would be stolen uh, by the Sasquatch, and sometimes they would escape and they'd come back with a a hybrid baby. And in Russia, there's the the famous uh, story of Zena and Quit, where uh, it was a female that was captured, and you know she had offspring uh, from human males. Um, it seems that you know they're not. Some of them aren't the healthiest. Others are. It just kind of depends. I think they're different enough from us that sometimes the the offspring are not as don't live as long as they could, or you know maybe aren't quite as healthy as as they could be, but. Um, others have gone on and had families and lived normal lives. And uh, the the hybrid, the, again, the mitochondrial DNA showing uh, human female. Yes. Uh, what do you believe then? Although it's undetermined, what are we talking about here in terms of the uh, the, the the male counterpoint, the uh, the father? Is it Cro-Magnon man? Is it uh, Neanderthal? What is it? Well, it, it, it didn't appear to be Neanderthal or Denisovan because they, you know, we didn't get hits with that like we should have uh, if it had been. Uh, so it's going to be an unknown species for sure, um, one that's not been, you know, sequenced at this point. Something like Gigantopithecus? And, but, you know, they're or? getting these all the time. I mean, there, there's if you read any of the science that comes out over the last, you know, two or three years, there's just like the Denisovan individual out of Russia, um that type of hominid actually has unknown DNA that they don't know where it came from. Um, you know, human beings are hybrids of Neanderthal and Denisovan for the most part. Uh, only the uh, African population tends to not be. Um, but the any, the Caucasians have up to, you know, three or so percent Neanderthal. I mean, really, the Sasquatch are no different than, than we are in that they're a hybrid, just like we are. They just have more of an unknown uh, type of, of individual in them than they do human. And I think, really, uh, it's because the human has been somewhat bred out because of we're the weaker species over the years. Right, right. And uh, and how far back does this go? Is it 15,000 years? Did I read correctly? Well, it depends on which of the genomes, I mean, which of the, the mitochondrial genomes you're looking at. Uh, we have some as young as 13,000 years. We, I think the oldest one was 26,000 years as far as the, um, you know, when that particular um, haplotype came into, into existence. And, and how, many, um, how many species or, or subspecies are there uh, of, of Sasquatch uh, based on well, your there's some studies. There's some generalities. I mean, there are some variants, but, you know, look at human beings. We have a lot of variants, too. We have all our different races, and it's kind of the same thing with Sasquatch. I mean, it's like uh, down south, they're, they're called skunk apes, and they're a little bit smaller a lot of times and a little more primitive looking. And, you know, Pacific Northwest, you get some, some really large ones. Of course, I mean, we've got some large ones around here, too, so... Can't say it completely, but there are different different variants. Okay, and, uh, uh, Melba, we will take a time out. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and resume our discussion on the Sasquatch Genome Project with Dr. Melba Ketchum, Richard Astley, special guest host in studio. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? 
This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And uh, welcome back. The Sasquatch Genome Project, and we've linked up to that website at uh, richardserrett.com. Just uh, scroll down and find our guest who joins us, Dr. Melba Ketchum. Click on uh, her name, and that'll take you right to the Sasquatch Genome Project. And uh, she is the uh, president and director of DNA Diagnostics. This is a genetics lab geared to the -the state-of-the-art genetic testing. And um, she has made a DNA analysis of possible Bigfoot hair samples. uh, And this has been published in a peer-reviewed journal. Uh, Before I throw it back over to my uh, special guest host, Richard Astley, um, we were talking about uh, numbers of, uh, you know, the different, uh, I guess, species differentiation uh, in in different parts of uh, the United States. Now, what size, what, what, how many um, adults, Sasquatch adults, would be required for a for a viable population, a viable breeding population, in your estimation? I mean, there's thousands of them, so there is a viable breeding population already. Okay, so uh, at, at least we're talking about in the thousands. Uh, oh, huge, yeah, high thousands. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, one location alone, uh, just a very small area. I know there were nine. There's 11 at another. I mean, you know, we're talking, you know, there's thousands of them. There's no danger. They're not endangered. All right. What is the problem with the scientific community to embrace these findings. For example, back in the uh, the late 19th, early 20th century, uh, we didn't have sort of scientific confirmation of the existence of, I, I believe it was the lowland or the mountain gorilla. Uh, this, uh, you know, up until this point was some, you know, legendary fabled creature. Uh, however, when we had that scientific evidence, it was, re- you know, it was embraced and accepted as, as self-evident. What is the what is the the stumbling block here for the scientific community? Why won't they get behind this? I think because there's such a stigma associated with it, with all the hoaxing that's gone on over the years, and the fact that nobody has has uh, brought forward a viable body. Well, I mean, there's been bodies, but the government has taken them. So um, it's like, oh well, you know, we can't really see it, touch it, feel it. So we're just, and these people have hoaxed it. So. Everything has to be a hoax about it, and that's just not true. I mean, there's there's literally, I would bet a hundred thousand sightings over the the over North America. I know one organization has over thirty thousand reports that they've cataloged. So you know, I mean, that many people can't be wrong. You mentioned uh, uh, that 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 bodies have been found. That's always yeah, the big... there have been. How and, do we know, you know this? It's been a cover up. It really has. But how, do you have this on good authority? I mean, how do you know? Yeah, I do have it on good authority. Can you expand on that a little bit? Are you able to? Oh, I've talked to a couple of government officials that came clean with me. I can't go any further with their names or anything, but, um, you know, I, <laughs> they have bodies. Uh, do the, One of the, the, um, the, the, the questions that people often ask is, you know, why don't we find more bodies? Uh, well, do they, they bury, bury their dead. I was going to ask, do they bury their own dead? Yeah, they do. They do. They take care of things, so... Um, you they, know, they they don't want to be found. They don't want to really be bothered with us, and I don't blame them. I mean, actually, they've got a better lifestyle than we do because all they, you know, they they live in a more or less idyllic society in some ways. Um, they don't, you know, have the 
all the difficulties we do or the stress that we do with our existence. Can they become aggressive? Yes. There are some bad ones. There are some cannibals. Interesting. And you only have to go as far as the missing 411 books to, to read about some of that. And right, right. Okay, let me uh, turn it back over to uh, Richard Astley, my co-host. In addition to the fur samples you've got, have you received other types of samples, and does any one of those stand out in particular as strong proof? I'm having a little trouble hearing you. In addition what to... What about the samples? You, you received your fur samples. I was wondering what other types of samples you've received. Oh, other... we received all different kinds of samples. We had saliva, we had hair, we had uh, urine, we had... Um, we've got bones that were getting ready to work on now. We've been raising money to to uh, have genomes done on uh, skeletal samples of giants that, we, that may or may not be related to Sasquatch as well as some more Sasquatch uh, remains that we have, you know, alleged Sasquatch remains like from the Zeta and Quip uh, Russian samples. We have them. We want to get those whole genomes on them and what have you. So we've been working very hard to and diligently to raise enough money to get that done uh and we've we've got a good start so uh we're going to get some of these tested we have red-headed giants which uh the native americans the paiutes um there's a difference of opinion whether they're actually sasquatch or whether the red-headed giants are another tribe of of native americans that are very tall and red-headed so uh we're hoping to get to the bottom of all this and and uh in the not very distant future. All right, uh, Melba, stay put, and uh, we will reconvene on the other side. Dr. Melba Ketchum, the Sasquatch Genome Project, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And we are back with Dr. Melba Ketchum, uh, who is with the Sasquatch Genome uh, Project, and she's made a DNA analysis of a possible Bigfoot hair samples. I say possible. You would say 100% definite. Correct, Melba? Uh, yes, actually. Um, I'm quite sure what we have there. Um, it's mammalian hair. It's, um, you know, some of our samples came from eyewitness sources. So that adds a lot of credibility. Uh, in, in, are you able to uh, break down the mitochondrial DNA to determine, uh, for example, uh, the, the the race? Uh, are we talking about um, uh, Native American? Are we talking about what? Well, it was a combination of a lot of different ones, um, but most of them had origins uh, back in the Middle East um, or Europe. Uh, but, of course, you know, the Middle Eastern types are older as they spread into Europe, so they all have kind of a root race of of the the T2s, which are Ts and T2s, which were Middle Eastern types. Um, we had, I think, you know, three or four Native American types. We had, um, I think, three black haplogroups, but the rest... And we kind of wondered if maybe, since they came from the south of the U.S., if maybe they were a hybrid from potentially uh, slaves that might have uh, escaped into the wilderness and, and were captured by them and, you know, ended up having offspring. Because uh, we don't know when the hybridization occurred on these, obviously. So, um, but generally the Middle East seems to be the most prominent root source of all of these because even the Native American samples came from those at one point. 
All right. Uh, Richard Astley is just uh, chomping at the uh, <laughs> uh, the bit. I know he has another question here. Um, Les Stroud, he's a, a Canadian. He's got a show, Survivor Man, that airs about his uh, exploits of surviving in the wilderness. Uh, he just did a recent series of investigating um, possible sightings, possible evidence of Bigfoot. I'm just wondering if uh, his investigations has made any headway in the Bigfoot culture, or was there anything that he revealed that is now widely known. Good question, Richard. So, are you, are you familiar with the work of, of Survivor Man Les Stroud? I've heard of it, but I don't I don't follow it. Now, uh, let me ask you about the Patterson Gilman film, which is kind of the uh, I call it the Zapruder film of uh, of sort of the Sasquatch uh, uh, the Sasquatch arena. Uh, is that, in your estimation, legitimate uh, or is it a hoax? I believe it's legitimate for a number of reasons. Uh, one, whenever you look at it closely, you can actually see she's got a muscle hernia on her right thigh, and it moves when she walks. And that is not something that somebody would think to fake. Um, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of, her gait is different from a human. There's been some very good work done on analysis of the gait, and it, it, it just can't be reproduced, plus the size on top of it. Um, there's there's just a lot of different reasons that I believe it's real. Uh, of course, once again, you've got all the conspiracy theories and people that have tried to you know say it's a hoax and what have you. But there's a lot of science. Uh, you know, some, there's been some documentaries even that have done some really nice work of of showing how the locomotion is completely different than than a person's, as well as um, you know you've got um, this muscle hernia that everybody kind of overlooks for the most part. And uh, to me, that was very telling because, you know, that's something that you can see the muscle moving as she walks uh, under there. It's a, where there's a tear in the covering of the muscle and allows it to bulge. It allows it to bulge through. To me, uh, one of the things that's very compelling uh, is it, it is it does look very authentic. And if anyone has seen any of those cheesy B movies from that era in the '60s, with the you know the gorilla that escapes oh, yeah, the circus, the they did not have those kinds of. And and I believe there was a there's a Hollywood special effects uh, designer who just completed a seven year investigation, and he concluded that it is authentic as well. Yes, uh, you know, I, I now I've I've kind of followed that, and you know, I'm in a hundred percent agreement that, you know, I've, and and plus I've I've seen them, and you know, some of them look like that. They have the, you know, the little cheeks showing, but you know, the rest of their face is here, and it's back to the variation with them. Uh, if this is all true, and and uh, you are you know one hundred percent certain, this would would have to constitute one of the greatest scientific discoveries of all time. Well, we think it is, but, you know, like I say, we have so many naysayers and so many haters out there that have, you know, torn things down that I'm to the point that, you know, it just, it is what it is. And and, and so what is the next step then for you? I mean, how, what else needs to be, what I, uh, you know, T's need to be crossed and so forth? What, what, what well, needs we want to be done? do some more testing on our, on our skeletal samples, on our giants and cone heads and what have you, because, uh, you know, a lot of the, the Bigfoot, have you know the pointed heads um not only that but um we want to to go forward with um you know trying to compare and see you know if there's anything in common there and and plus we've got some more sasquatch samples that i would like to get some confirmation genomes on um the more the better 
so you know we're still we're still in the process like i say we're raising money to to test some samples we've got about 20 samples and you know we've raised enough to test a few but we want to try to get all of them tested so we can you know compare everything at once and you know basically kind of get to the bottom of all of it uh, would you be adverse uh, to a humane live capture of... Uh, I would be absolutely adverse to it. You would. How would you like to be captured and poked and prodded and stuck and photographed? No. They're people. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, fair, a, a fair point, certainly. Uh, but, but is there not a humane way? No. No. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't want to be darted and studied, would you? Well, I'm just wondering if it would lead to an acceptance of this reality, uh, then perhaps we could then begin to work on how do we protect these creatures. They really don't need our protection. They're able to avoid us to a very large extent, and, or else we'd already had everything that we need as far as, as you know, body and everything else. Um, so I just, you know, I don't, I'm not too worried about them. I mean, as many crazies as there are out there hunting them now, literally trying to kill a specimen, um, and they're not having success at this point. Uh, I'm not too worried about it. I think that, you know, they're, I've seen what they can do. I can see how they can blend in, and, and, you know, you can walk right up to one and not know it's there, practically. It's like a Special Forces soldier in full camo that knows what they're doing. You walk right past him and never know he's there. Well, they're the same way. Is this is this something that is developed uh, through through evolution, or do they possess some some particular type of skill? Uh, or? They have abilities I don't understand. Can you give me an example? And I've just seen them go away so quick that you know it's just not normal. Hmm. I mean, they they just they're not they have abilities humans don't. Let's put it that way. Are they're so elusive? Get yeah. by with a lot of things that we don't. Yes, so something that's on the order of eight feet tall, five or six hundred pounds, uh, and able to, for the most part, you, you know, um, avoid detection. It, it is remarkable. But they can do it, and I've seen it. And they just—it's it, amazing. It's—it's uh, it's mind blowing. Uh, and so I—that's why I don't worry about them like I used to. Before I knew very much about them, I was constantly worried about and I, and I do want them protected for a number of reasons not only because they're a type of people and we need to leave them alone they're leave they leave us alone let's leave them alone do they leave us alone do we need to be fearful i'm sorry what uh, well you say they leave us alone but do they necessarily i mean do we have anything to be concerned about when we go walking in the woods well i never <laughs> i never encourage anybody to go walking out of the Sorry, Melba, you, you were breaking up there a little bit. Uh, can I get you? Yeah, you were breaking up, too. Okay. Um, as I said, I don't encourage anybody to go walking in the woods by themselves because there's other things besides Sasquatch to worry about. This is true. And all, most of the Sasquatch will never bother you. They'll just avoid you. It's You know, there's certain hot spots where there's been some bad activity, usually up in the mountains and some pretty desolate areas, um, you know, but for the most you know, 90% of them are going to leave you alone and stay away from you, and you'll never know it. Um, you know, the most you'll get just about usually if you do go in the woods is a kind of a creepy feeling that somebody's watching you. We hear a lot about uh, th- th- this tremendous odor uh, associated with... Well, they with- can they have it and they don't have it. They can control it. 
I have experienced that. It's a scent gland? No, I don't think it's a scent gland at all. It's something that they can they can change it, though. It's strange. Um, but, you know, they, they do have an odor. Uh, sometimes I think it's because they've physically been in contact with, you know, think it's their hygiene or, does, you know, other times it's it's kind of interesting whenever you have one that smells more like flowers. So it's it's not a consistent thing. Um, although I would say the most common smell you get is that of old dead garbage with a little bit of Otis skunk on top of it. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Uh, now, has this essentially taken over your uh, taken over your life? I mean, do you have t- time to? Uh, to run DNA diagnostics for other purposes, or have you been well, totally we, consumed by Well, we lost a whole lot of business when we did this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're not as large as we were, thanks to my stupidity in, in going after this. Uh, I didn't realize the repercussions that it would have and the fact that, you know, it would discredit me as a scientist by just doing a legitimate scientific study. Does it, do you uh, regret it? Do you regret this? Yeah, I regret it. I don't, I'd never do it again. I just want to get finished with it. And put it behind you. Uh, is that even possible? I mean, how do you... I don't know if it's possible, because the haters just don't give up. But, um, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's been a big disappointment. It really has. Because I thought it was it was so exciting at first that we had found a new species and, and one that was actually a, a, a blood relative about was living at the same time we are. And that was huge. And uh, to have it... So poorly received and and what have you and and to be laughed at by my peers is, has not been fun and you know yeah I regret it I was naive I didn't think that would happen I thought if you did good science it would you know go smoothly out there. Well, uh, Dr. Ketchum, uh, for what it's worth, I think you're incredibly courageous, and uh, I applaud you and uh, I wish you great success. Uh, how can we help? Uh, give us an assignment. Well, an assignment would be to help us get these genomes tested, get them all done, because, you know, a lot of people have said, oh, we need a type specimen. They want to go out and kill once they have a type specimen. Well, for instance, if these giant samples we have uh, turn out to be, you know, in line with what we've already got genetically, we have a type specimen, and that will really nail it. And the same with the Zyna and Quit. If, you know, if they turn out to truly be Sasquatch and Sasquatch hybrid, then we'll be able to want to hear our skulls that came from these. And we have a type specimen once again, which, you know, makes it a lot more um, difficult for the scientific community to ignore. All right, so people can go to uh, sasquatchgenomeproject.org, and there is a, uh, a funding tab they can click on and help out? Yes, yes. And, you know, like I say, because we want... We also have, like I said, quite a few coneheads from Peru, the elongated skull people. And, like I say, we're interested, my original interest in them was because, uh, once again, a lot of the Sasquatch have similar head shape. Right, right. Listen, we're and out of so, time. So, you know, we've, we've got a variety of samples, and, you know, we need to see if they're interrelated or not. If nothing else, I think we'll get some very interesting findings. Indeed, these. indeed. Dr. Ketchum, thank you so much. Thank you. SasquatchGenomeProject.org. My website, RichardSerrett.com. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. <laughs>